we're going to be reading towards the end of Exodus chapter 20. God had asked his people to meet with him on Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. And then we read the words and the response of God's people. Before we do so, let us look to God for his Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would indeed open our hearts and our minds now to hear your word, to understand it, to be ready to apply it, and to be ready to live it in our life as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Then we turn to the last section in Exodus chapter 40, the verses 34 through 38. Exodus chapter 40, for our particular consideration this morning, begin to read again the word of God in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, where whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journey. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word. In Psalm 10, the psalmist cries out to God, and he says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? That cry, or very similar to that cry, has gone up by a number of the psalmists, actually, the people of God and their response. God. It has gone up to God by his people throughout the history of the world. And it is a cry which demonstrates we raise it in terms of time and trouble. And it's a cry which is based on the fact that if only God were with us, we look around us there's pandemic, there's lawlessness in the streets, there's increasingly pagan culture 
in our own midst. There's wars and unbelievable atrocities carried out in wars. I can go on and list the kinds of things that we see prominent in our world. And we say, indeed, where is God? And we raise that question because we have this, this conviction that if God were only really here, well, he would not let these things happen. Or there is, on the other hand, a keen awareness of sin. And we think, well, how could not, how could God, in fact, be with me when I'm such a sinner? How can we expect God to look down upon us? What the psalmist eventually, in fact, finds out is that God was really there all along. He just didn't open his eyes and see the reality of God's presence, which we often find ourselves with. What the scripture makes clear, and sometimes we need to really be reminded of this fact, what the scripture makes clear is that God is with his people. God is with his people. We consider this morning the account of God literally moving into the midst of his people, the camp in the wilderness, by moving into the tabernacle, particularly the Holy of Holies. And so we want to notice the fact that God does move into the midst of his people, and God is present with his people, and he guides his people. Our God is, of course, an ever-present God. There is no place in this creation in which it can ever be said that God is not there. He upholds his creation by the palm of his hand, even the place where his judgment is poured out with wrath upon the unbelievers. So how can we then, at the same time, if God is everywhere present, how can we speak of the fact that God literally moves into a place where now his presence is there? In the same way we can ask, just this Cain situation with Cain. When Cain was, uh, when God dealt with Cain because of his murderous sin, and God said, your punishment is that I'm going to take you away from my presence. Well, where is that place? Where God's presence is not there. And even Cain himself recognized that that was too hard to bear. The reality of God's presence is that it is not always before sin, of course, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden enjoyed the most complete and total sense of life in the presence of God. Not just that on occasion they walked and talked with God. Certainly there was that part of it, and it was a special time with God. But as, they, as Adam named the animals, as they were given the task, and they dressed and kept the garden, 
that did so in a way in the presence of God uh, that was very special and unique. That was lost when Adam and Eve sinned and eventually put outside of the garden. There was a cutting off from God and the presence of God being with his people. And yet, God continues to provide that Adam and Eve, as they taught their, their sons, brought sacrifices clearly to God. There is a variation of level. In Psalm 95, which I referred to earlier, uh, in terms of the call to worship, note the word, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Hebrews 12, verse 22, also speaks about worship in the sense of entering into that temple made without hands, the holy of holies, and meeting with God in a special way. So there indeed is a sense of God's presence which we experience at times that is different or more intense or more real, more present, more intimate face-to-face -face than at other times and in other places. There's a lot involved in being in the presence of God, but essentially it has to do with this. It comes down to knowing God and fellowshipping, communicating, spending time with, having a face-to-face -face of the most intimate relationship guided by God himself. But there's a problem. Remember the experience when they came to meet with God at Mount Sinai? It was the most awful, horrible experience. There is a problem in that God has a problem. That he cannot be in the midst of an unholy and a sinful people. These are the people whom God brought out from Egypt. These are the people that we read earlier about that he, he reminded them of that covenant relationship I will be your God and you shall be my people. I have called you out. You are special. These are the people that uh, is the result of the covenant that we made with Abraham. These are the people he brought through the, through the Red Sea and by which he drowned Pharaoh and all his army. These are the people to whom he promised a Savior, a Redeemer, who will take the place of his people before God when we sin and cannot stand before God. And he said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. But he is a holy God. He cannot have anything to do with unrighteousness before him. As the people experienced in Mount, at coming to meet with him at Mount Sinai. And it caused the people to say, don't let God come into our presence. We cannot handle that. It's, 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 it's too terrible. You, Moses, you go meet with him. We'll listen to you. So here's the situation. That before Christ actually took the sins of his people 
upon himself or before God the Father, the judge placed your and I's sins on Christ and he went to the cross and paid for them and removed the filth and the pollution of that sin. The camp of God's people is still a camp where sins have not yet been paid for here in Exodus. It is a place of an unclean place of unclean people where God, in fact, to just simply walk into that camp and be there with his people and say, it's really nice to be with all of you. He would have had to reach out and destroy it instantaneously. Sin and the presence of God is a problem. God cannot be with you in the sense of a loving, caring father when you are still covered with sin. We cannot just look at sin as, well, okay, because you really, really are turning away from that and you really promise to be faithful and you want God in your midst and God's just going to say, well, we'll set it aside. No, not at all. So there's a problem, but there is at the same time immediately an answer. God does, in fact, come into the camp. That's the point of what we're reading this morning. How can that be? He comes into camp by means of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place that was set up. It was a temporary. It could be taken down and moved like a tent. But it was the place where sacrifice was made, where the blood of the animal was sprinkled on the mercy seat before God, pointing to and implying the fact that the blood of Christ will yet someday cover the sins of his people. In John 1.14, in the uh, story about the birth of Christ, we read that the Word, referring to the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. Really, the Word means tabernacle in our midst. What we see here is that when the cloud came, and fill the tabernacle. And the emphasis is so much on the presence of God that, and I don't know how this works, but God came, who is, of course, spirit, and he filled the tabernacle to such a point that Moses could not enter. It is a clear and loud message by God to his people. I have provided for you an answer to the problem. You can be blessed with the intimate fellowship of God and our relationship can be restored. Yes, God is behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And woe to anyone who enters into that Holy of Holies, unless he is the high priest of the Day of Atonement, first himself covered by the blood of, of the Lamb, and then he brings the sprinkling and uh, the blood and sprinkles it on the mercy seat, indicating the covering. So the point is, the message to Israel and the message to you when you read that the cloud covered a tent of meeting and the Lord filled the tabernacle is that sin has been provided for and it is gone. And the issue is that you and I can be and have God in our presence. It's important to notice that God did not come into the camp to the people themselves. He came into the tabernacle. The glory cloud filled the tabernacle, specifically the Holy of Holies. 
so literally, literally the Holy of Holies and all of the tabernacle provided a protection for the people from God. You might think that's backwards. No, it's not. God is a holy God who reaches out and destroys sin. But by means of the tabernacle, God can be in the midst of a people. They are protected by the covering all that is meant by the tabernacle, the shedding of blood, the sacrifice pointing to Christ. So the reality of salvation is pointed to here in this passage. You may want to read a passage like this, and I know I find many of these accounts in the Old Testament uh, uh, that are often probably skipped over, but they're filled with a lot of interesting things that happen, but it is oh so much more than just a nice, interesting story about God moving into the camp. It is about the gospel that Christ has come, that you and I can have God in our midst. We can be restored with our God. You know, you and I were created as image bearers of God. We are a reflection of God within the Godhead. There is, of course, a picture given to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their relationship was the most intimate and joyous relationship between the persons of the Godhead. That is what we reflect. Being created, the essence of sin and rebellion is to say, I do not need God. That's what the, the serpent convinced Satan, uh, Eve and Adam of. That was the lie. But it is so much more than that. Being created the image of God and having God as is to have God as the lifeline. It means that man is blessed and enjoys the greatest idea of life. The very picture, as I mentioned earlier, the greatest picture ever of living in the presence of God was Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. And the essence of that is that they had life. They had life in its fullest because they were connected to God. God is the lifeline to all of life. When man looks to himself as his own God, turned his back on God, it's not just simply that man decided, well, I'm going to go find something different, and, and God sort of shrugged his shoulders. No, when man left, God left. And the work of Christ is to bring God back into our presence by covering our sin. So think now of the significance of God coming into the camp. The cloud and how thick it was. It's a wonderful picture again of the gospel, the restoration. Because of the tabernacle and all that it represents by means of the covering of the blood of sacrifice, symbolizing, symbolizing the blood of Christ on the cross eventually yet to come by which sin is really covered, there is now literally a buffer in the camp, if you will. 
But even that could not be without the reality of a provision so that sin is covered. In Christ, not only is there a picture of payment made for our sins, of course, that's fundamental, that's what we believe in. But sin is actually removed. Not that we recognize it involves all of this, but it's not just simply that we recognize, well, I've sinned, and yes, that's terrible, and Christ has paid for my sins, so someday I can be with him in heaven. No, Christ has paid for your sins, and they are gone. Let us no longer dwell on the fact that we are just a sinful and an unrighteous people. We are a people in which God has moved into the midst of the camp, and God will not be where there is an unclean people. God, by the Holy Spirit, came on the day of Pentecost and moved into your heart. There's no longer a need for an external tabernacle because Christ has come. He has literally dwelt in our midst set up, he is the tabernacle, and he is now in the hearts of God's people. He does not dwell in the hearts of an unclean people. Yes, we need to be acknowledged, we need to be reminded as we were earlier this morning of our need to come before God and turn away from temptation of sin, to struggle to live the life of thankfulness before God. But you are the people of God in whom God is in your midst. God has removed the problem. He is again with his people. You can again in worship experience the most intimate face-to-face fellowship with God. How great is that? And yet, there is yet so much more. That itself is is fantastic, but there's so much more. When God is with his people, what do we see immediately that happens? God has not left his people on their own. Not only does he move into the camp, he is now the tour guide for camping. We all know about camping, right? Although it's a little bit difficult to think about what that camp might have been like with anywhere between three and six million people. Took a pretty special tour guide. That's God. And so the cloud, which became a pillar of fire by night, is the glory cloud. It is the cloud of God's presence. In a very consecrated way, we are told that when the cloud moved, the people moved. And when a cloud did not move, the people did not move. Okay, that was a very special sort of situation. Once in a lifetime where God is moving his people through the wilderness at Mount, from Mount Sinai until, even though they spent 40 years because they didn't always follow God as the way they should, but God brought them from Sinai into the promised land. It's important to see the connection. Because God is God and we are his creation, we need to say, here, we need God 
to say to us, as he did in that camp, here is where you go and here is where you do not go. There are many who like the idea of being with God, who like the idea of being identified, say, oh, yes, of course, I trust in Christ for salvation, uh, and I'm looking forward to being with him someday, uh, but don't meddle with me in my life now. The language suggests, 36 and following, throughout all their journey, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. A complete and total direction-giving situation. When God speaks, he's not just making suggestions. The travel guide for Israel was not, you know, uh, let me tell you what's the best way to go here. This is the way to go. Period. The presence of God is the word of God, and the word of God says in a complete way, in all of life, I will show you the way. But that's the picture in a microcosm of life today in all of its fullness. We are no longer traveling through the wilderness. We are in the promised land. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. It's been poured out upon us. We are the people of God. But we need God in our midst. And we need God in his direction for life. Christ is the ultimate tabernacle. You are the people of God. The very concept of being the people of God is to follow him. To daily live life in his very presence. So while this generation died in the wilderness because of not wanting to follow God, he did bring his people into the promised land. You can be certain of that. When you follow God, he will lead you with to life with God now and forever. You know, the thing to really keep in mind when you look at this picture, and to think of this picture as sort of a microcosm or a, uh, a picture pointing to all of life, that picture of life is the height of blessings and happiness. The world is looking for one thing or another. The unbeliever today, and you will see how quickly they get, uh, they get uh, excited and, and deep convicted they are because they can't find life by themselves. Now we struggle with sin. We still struggle with the curse on the creation we see around us, we should not be surprised when we see pictures of war in Ukraine and dead bodies all over the street, when we see protesting uh, before people who are trying to be uh, save un, un, uh, unborn life. Go down the line, whatever it is. But as the psalmist also found out, when he looked to God, he's there. He's with you now. You may find at a particular day that it seems like, oh, if God were only with me here, he's there. 
He's always there. In this life we struggle, we wonder about what God is doing, but don't ever believe that he has forsaken you. He will not forsake his people. That's the promise that he made when he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He is still the glory cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, leading you, his people, in life and to eternal life. Our task is to see that cloud and to follow it. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we are so quick to look at all other and many other directions and views of life to pull us this way and that way. Lord, we pray that you would indeed be faithful to your covenant, that you would guide us and that we would follow, and that your spirit in our hearts would cause us to hunger and to thirst and to rejoice and celebrate life in all of its fullness before you as we worship and as we live and as we go through life. All this we ask in Jesus.